I really do count it an honor and a privilege to be able to speak and uh, speak into the foundation of a church. It's really, uh, it's really awesome. And I love church plants because there's something so pure about, about it. It's like all the other stuff that bigger churches can sometimes get caught up with. Um, in, a, in a church plant setting, you really focus on relationship. You really focus on discipleship and on outreach. And there's something so special about it that people are really committed. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be here today. So thank you for having me. And um, I, I felt like, I mean, it was my first time experiencing um, the, the technology and, and I thought that it worked well until, until it went. <laughs> and then it went. But I feel like there's some praise that's still left in me that I feel like I, the, the carpet was pulled out from my feet, to be honest. So, and um, you know, the Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise and there's a protocol in the kingdom. So sometimes when we come and pray or we come before God, we come with our prayers straight away and we forget actually there's protocol and that praise is important. So I, I've crafted um, some prayers for some people that I pray and, and at the beginning of that there's some thanksgiving and praise and I just want to praise God because I feel like there's still some left. So can you join me? And we praise God because of who he is and we give thanks because of what he's done. So we're going to praise God. You can close your eyes, you can pray in your own words or you can join me, but let's just take a few minutes. I just want to finish that praise, that King of Glory moment <laughs> that was pulled out from under our feet. So Father, we come before you today acknowledging that you are God, that you are Lord, that you are King of Glory. You are King of Glory. You are the great I Am. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the King over all, Lord God. You are even King. You are King over this neighborhood, even this church plant. You are King, Father, and we praise you for that. You uphold all things by the word of your power. There is nothing hidden from your sight. You are all seeing. You are all knowing, Lord God. You are almighty. You are all powerful. You are victorious. And you hear our prayers. And you hear our praise. And we praise you this morning. You truly are our good King. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your mercies, which are new every morning. We thank you that you are our faithful King, Jehovah Jireh, who faithfully provides. You provide materially, you provide spiritually, you provide relationally. You provide for us, Lord God. You provide word for us. We thank you. You made a way for us when we were in sin, and you continue to make a way for us. You've provided food in our bellies and roofs over our heads, shoes on our feet and clothes to cover us. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you, Lord, as Jehovah Jireh. You've provided natural family, spiritual family, meaningful relationships. You are so good to us. You have led us. You have guided us. You have taught us. You have spoken to us. You have heard our prayers, O oh Lord. You've, you've heard our cries. You've been patient with our weakness. You've sent people to challenge us, to cause us to grow, to encourage and strengthen us, to reveal your heart toward us. You're the God who goes before and makes crooked places straight. You're the God who breaks in pieces gates of bronze and cuts bars of iron. You're the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, you open doors that no man could open. You shut doors so that no man can open them. You really are the King of glory and the great I am and the Lord of hosts. And we praise you, Lord. You are the God who goes before and you hem us in behind. You are the way maker. 
You made a way through the Red Sea for the Israelites and you make a way for us today. And we thank you, Father. Lord, you are our Prince of Peace. You got our hearts and minds without, with your peace. You are our keeper. You watch over our coming and going and keep us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your protection, for your covering, for the safety we have in you. You are our good shepherd. Lord, you lead us beside the still waters and you restore our souls. You bring us into green pastures. You feed us faithfully, Lord God. You protect us. You discipline us. You provide a feast for us, even in the presence of our enemies. You are God who is with us always through the darkest valleys, in the intense warfare, and on the mountaintops. You never leave us, Lord. Thank you. You're the God who heals us, Jehovah Rapha. You restore. You gave life. You gave your life. You're compassionate and under your understanding is unsearchable. You truly are amazing. Thank you for your heart towards us, Lord. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for your work within us, Lord. Lord, this morning we declare you are glorious, you are worthy of praise and adoration. No one else can take your glory, Lord. No one else can take your glory. None compares to you. You are beautiful and holy and just and powerful and mighty and good. You are love, you are life, you are creator. And we worship you this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for how you reveal yourself to us. Lord, we love you. We want to understand more of you. We want to understand your ways, Lord. Help us to walk with you. Teach us to walk in praise. Teach us to walk in your presence, Lord. We lift you up in this place. I just declare your praise over this church, even at this stage. I declare a garment of praise upon the people of this church. I declare that depression will not be in this place, that heaviness is not welcome in this place. I thank you for the oil of joy and the garment of praise upon your people this morning and as they go from here. And I thank you for that, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay. Thanks for joining me in that. Um, this morning, I'm going to be speaking on the God who leads. The God who leads. And my message is not so much points, five points to understanding the God who leads, but it's more... Um, it's more a journey, pretty much like the Israelites when God led them, and we're going to be looking at them. So I hope you enjoy this journey. And the place where I want to start is Romans 8 verse 28. That's the, the first port of call on this journey. And before I read that scripture, I just want to say I want us to look at the God who leads, yes, but how we need to position ourselves to be able to be led by the God who leads, because he leads those who position themselves to be led. And I want us to look at how God leads, who he is when he leads, and a few points regarding his nature, um, things that I'm wanting to be aware of, specifically that he's a God of process, that he's a God of understanding, and that he's a God of strategy. Um, and we're going to be looking at Moses and the Israelites quite a bit to learn our lessons. But back to Romans 8 verse 28. You know, this is a scripture that we love to to bandy around, especially as charismatics, right? And it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We love that scripture, hey? You know, when we don't understand something, when someone has had an accident and they are 
injured, when someone dies uh, prematurely, when something happens we don't understand, it's like we just, it's like our one medicine that fixes everything. We throw that scripture around. Well, we know that all things work together for good to those who, lo- you know, to good for the, uh, the for those who love God. But I, and, and that is true, and all things do work together, you know, uh, to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But I think sometimes, especially as charismatics, we like to proofread. So we'll go along, we'll pick a scripture that we like, and we take it, and we make it mean what we want it to mean, and make it mean sometimes what it didn't really mean when the author wrote it. So I'm wanting us to look at the context of this scripture, which is important. Whenever we're reading scripture, we always have to look at the context. And the context of the scripture, if you look at Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And what I'm wanting to propose this morning, yes, we know that the Holy Spirit prays in us. We know that Jesus ever lives to make intercession in the heavens for us. But what I'm wanting to propose is that all things work together to those who are called according to his purpose. And all things work well when we pray well. And all things work for good when we've prayed about it. But we can't sit back as Christians and say, oh well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. God is sovereign and I'll just sit on my butts and all things will work together. No. All things work together when we get up, when we contend with the promises of God, when we get up and pray in accordance with the will of God, when we get up and push, and then God answers our prayers, and all things work together for good. Amen. And so God leads us. This is the first place that we need to make sure we're at in order for God to lead us in our purposes, in order for God to lead you as a church in Joburg. You have to be a prayerful church. In order for God to lead me in my personal life, I have to be prayerful about it. I have to be prayerful. I have to cover my kids. I can't just say, oh, well, God, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and you'll take care of my kids. No, I have to pray for them, that all things will work for their good. Amen. So Romans 8 verse 28 in its context shows me that I've got to be a prayerful person. I've got to be birthing things by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit-led prayers for them to work together for my good. Okay, and the reason why we need to pray, you know, some people say, why? Why pray if God is sovereign, if God is Lord, if God is King of Kings, all those things you are praying, Trace. If God is really God, why do I have to pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Genesis 1 verse 27 to 28 is the dominion mandate. And God said, God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Okay, so God is saying, I'm delegating my authority to you people. The earth is yours, now you take care of it. And so now when we run into issues and difficulties, we can't just say, oh, well, God is God. No, God is not like my boss. He's not like, well, not like my boss, okay, like your boss, okay. He doesn't delegate authority and then usurp the authority that he delegated. God gave us authority, gave us, said, now you take dominion. So now when we want help, we've got to ask him. We've got to come and pray. So we do need to pray. We need to pray. And when we pray, we know that Psalm 65 verse 5, God is a God who answers prayer. James 5 verse 16 to 18, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So God is a God who leads, yes, but we need to be leadable people. Amen. If there's such a word. 
And I need to position myself in a place where I can be led by the God who leads. And that first place is a place of prayer. I need to be prayerful. I need to be in prayer about everything. You know, sometimes in the morning when I wake up, I feel like, Lord, there's so many things that I need to pray about. I don't even know where to start. How do I even, how do I even, I feel, sometimes I honestly feel like if I even start, when am I ever going to finish? There's not enough time to pray for all the things that I need to pray for. Okay, but we got to start, we got to pray and start somewhere and trust that as we pray, God will answer prayers. Amen. Amen, Pastor Bill. <laughs> okay, and you know what is so fascinating um, when I look at that, this story, this account, not story, it's an account, it's a true account of Moses and the Israelites, which is where we're going to where we're going to dwell today, is that the answer to our prayers very often is a person. And the answer to someone, very, uh, someone else's prayers is very often a person, which might just be you. You might be the answer to someone else's prayers. If I look at the life of Moses, he was the answer to the Israelites' prayers. The Israelites had been in captivity for hundreds of years, and they'd been crying out to God, deliver us. Deliver us, Lord. This bondage is too much. Deliver us. Deliver us. Hundreds of years. And you know how God answered that prayer? He chose one man and chose that man to answer that prayer. So we can be the answer to someone's prayer. You are the answer in this place, in this church. You're the answer to someone's prayer or to someone's need. Moses' purpose, destiny, and calling were likely in response to their prayers. And when God calls Moses... You know, he says to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 7 to 10, this is what God says. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry, and I know their pain and suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and to lead them up from that land to a land that is good and spacious. Now behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Come therefore now, and I will send you to Pharaoh and bring my people out of Egypt. So the call of Moses and, and, and what God said to Moses, he says, I want to lead my people, because he's the God who leads, right? I'm going to lead my people out of Egypt, and you're the answer to their prayers, and you, I'm going to use you to lead my people. You see, God sometimes wants to use you to lead people that he wants to lead. Amen. So God sent Moses in response to someone's prayer. And the thing that I find so interesting in terms of this is the seeds of that um, destiny and that calling and that desire, before God even called Moses, they were there. So if I look in Exodus 2, verse 11 to 12, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This is very interesting to me because Moses, for all intents and purposes, is in the key place to be able to fulfill God's calling on his life. He's right in the center of influence in the Pharaoh's palace. Um, and he has the seeds of destiny in his heart, but he chooses to do it his own way. Amen. And sometimes we have those seeds of destiny in our hearts. We have those desires that God has put there. But we choose to do it our own way, and we choose to do it prematurely. We're not led by God. But Moses had that passion, that desire, the seeds of his destiny. And at a certain point, he would allow God 
to lead him. And it's interesting how Moses was in the, in, in, in the natural sense, he was in the key place in, the, in Pharaoh's palace, um, and he could have done it from there, but God chose to take him from there into the backside of nowhere, into the wilderness, into the desert, and prepared his heart. And so in the backside of nowhere, where we would look at the situation and think, Lord, how are you going to do it from there? You've, you know, um, that's, that's nowhere. But God knew and was able to locate Moses and his heart. And God knew, even though Moses was in the palace, in, Fa in Pharaoh's presence, his heart, maybe his heart was not ready to fulfill the purposes of God. He would have gone about it his own way. He wasn't in a leadable place in his heart. But God took him into the desert, and he spent years in the desert. And that's where I pick up the story on Exodus 3, verse 1 to 4, because he's tending the flock of Jethro and was at the mountain of Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appears to him, and God speaks to him there. And it's like, in the natural, he's in the wilderness, but in his heart, he's in a better place to be led by God. Um, at that point, and, God's, and, and basically it says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And I think many of us at that point would have been like, oh, that's cool goosebump moment. That's nice. I'll enjoy it. Okay, cool, God. Let me move on and do my stuff. But that's not what Moses did. He says, oh, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So he dug a bit. So he lingered a bit in that place. And it says, so when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the bush. That's when his calling came. When he turned aside to look, it's, you know, sometimes we read scripture and we, we know there's an X that marks a point in that verse where we probably need to dig a bit where God wants to speak to us. But we don't really linger. We don't really spend time studying and digging. But Moses turned aside. And when the Lord saw him turning aside, the Lord spoke to him and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So Moses was led because he turned aside. He was in a hidden place in the desert and he turned aside you know maybe you feel like in some areas in your life you're in a hidden place you're in the wilderness but it doesn't matter for God amen it doesn't matter often when God brings us into the wilderness it's to prepare our hearts it's to make us ready for the thing that he has for us often he's bringing our hearts into a place where they're leadable because he is a God who leads amen God has not forgotten us in hidden us in hiddenness I love what Isaiah 40, verse 27 to 31 says. Why do you say, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is, unsearch is, is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. The young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. God is a God who understands. I love what it says in Psalm 139. It says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. What is that saying? It's saying, even in my darkest of dark darks, I'm not hidden from God. Even in my darkest place, God can still locate me. He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly where he wants to lead me. He knows exactly what he has to do in order to get me to the place that he's leading me 
I also love how, you know, in Exodus 13, verse 20 to 22, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of the Israelites in a pillar of cloud to guide them, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Now, I was thinking about that yesterday, and I was thinking, Lord, whatever season we find ourselves in, you know how to lead us. He knows how to lead us. When it was dark, he led by fire. When it was, not, uh, when it was daylight, he led by a cloud. Whatever season I find myself in, he knows how to lead me. Amen. Okay, so back to Moses. Moses, the answer to the Israelites' prayer of hundreds of years. No pressure, hey? Sure. <laughs> Moses, the answer to their prayers. God led the Israelites and he led them by raising up Moses to lead them. And Moses could lead them because he himself was being led by the Lord. And we need to learn how to be led by our God who leads. We need to position ourselves in such a way as to be led by him. And the first sort of place that I think we need to find ourselves continually and we need to discipline ourselves to bring ourselves continually is that place of prayer. If I look in... Um, the book of Exodus, I was listening to the Audible book yesterday. We went to so many soccer matches. <laughs> so many. <laughs> anyway, I was listening to the, uh, the Audible book of Exodus uh, and various chapters. And you know how many times I heard the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Moses said to the Lord, Moses cried out to the Lord, Moses so many times. And I just thought to myself, you know, Moses must have continually positioned himself in a place of prayer continually walked in relationship with God where he was able to hear and where he was talking to God. Okay, so that's really, that is so important for us. You as a church plant, every single person is so key, every single one of you, and you know that. In your personal life, God has got a, he's got a promised land for each one of you, and prayer is so critical. Okay, so remember I said there are three aspects that I'm wanting us to really grasp around God being a God who leads. And the first one is that he's a God who understands. He's a God who understands. You know, sometimes we get, I don't know about you, maybe you guys have graduated, but sometimes we get disillusioned with ourselves. Sometimes I get disillusioned with myself. If I trip up, then I trip up. But you know what the amazing thing is? God never gets disillusioned by us because he never was illusioned in the first place. We get disillusioned because we're illusioned about ourselves. Amen. But God doesn't. You know, there's that one, I think, Blaise Pascal, he said, God made man in his image and man repaid the compliment. We think God is like us, but he's not. Amen. Okay. And I find this a scripture so key, especially with young women who've got young babies, young children. Isaiah 40 verse 11. Um, it says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those with young Gently lead those with young. Sometimes I think, you know, as women, we have babies and the same standards and the same sort of daily routine and the same Bible reading and the same prayer time. We think that's going to happen after the babies have come. Well, I've got news. <laughs> you, if you haven't had a baby yet, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Probably won't. 
But guess what? It says that Jesus gently leads those who are with young. He understands. He understands. That scripture that I read just now, Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, he doesn't grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. God is a God who understands. And looking at Moses, I love this example in Exodus 13, verse 17 to 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, so now the Israelites have been in captivity, and Pharaoh is letting them go, and Moses is leading them out. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. I find that scripture so interesting. Number one, that God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. You see, people go to its Joburg. God gives us a promise. God gives us a vision. God gives a church a vision. And we think A to B, direct route. That is the route I want to go. That is the route you're going to take me, God. But I've got news for you. God doesn't often lead us on the direct route for our own good. He leads us around. He leads us on a roundabout route. He doesn't always give us the fine print of his contracts. He doesn't tell us all the little speed bumps that we're going to come into contact with along the way. So God led the people around the desert toward the Red Sea. Why? Because he says, if they face war, they'll change, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, I find it Interesting, at the end of that section it says, the Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. So in their minds, they were ready for battle. They were ready for battle. But God knew, okay, these people think they're ready for battle, but I know if they face the Egyptians on the way to their promised land, they are going to turn around and go back to Egypt. So God is a God who understands, and he understands the way that he needs to lead us to get us to where he has to take us. Okay, so if I think... If I think of myself and wanting to go from A to B, I want to go that way. If God gives me the promise, the danger for me is that I might say, Lord, I'm going there, please bless my route. Instead of saying, Lord, you're the God who leads and I trust you to lead me the route that you're wanting to take me. Amen. 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 Okay, the road through the Philistine country was the most direct route to Canaan, but it was heavily guarded by the Egyptians. God doesn't always take us the direct route. The Egyptians were ready for battle, but God knew their lack of readiness for war. God knows exactly where we're at. Remember what I said, God knows where to locate us. He knows exactly where we are. Amen. Okay. So God knew how to lead them in order to get them where he was taking them. Um, I keep having a thought. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, Isaiah 48 Verse 17 says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. Often our problem is not that we don't believe God leads. We do believe he leads. We believe he leads. But we've already decided the route we want to go. And the route we want to go, the most direct route, we actually want to go that way because we want to get to the place that God promised we will get to. We want to get to there as quickly as possible because we don't really believe that we're going to get there. Because there's unbelief in my heart, I want to make sure I get there. I want to apply myself because there's unbelief. But God doesn't have unbelief in his heart. So for him, he's fully confident. He knows, I'm going to get her there. I'm going to get Trace from A all the way around 
to be. I know I can do it. I'm God. But I know where she's at in her heart. I know that she's not ready for X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to take her this route. And in my heart, because I tend to not believe that I'm actually going to get there, I want to go the most direct route because I don't really trust that I'm going to get there. And we have to learn to rest in God and rest in the rhythms of the Spirit and rest in the rhythms of His seasons and trust that what He's doing in our hearts, He knows what He's doing and He's going to bring us to the place that He promised us eventually. Amen. And Exodus 14, verse 1 to 3, the Lord says to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Megdol and the sea. And they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I'm going to show you some maps now so you can actually see what he was talking about. It says, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. You see, in the Israelites' mind, they just wanted to survive. The only thing they had on their mind was survival. They were like, I want to survive this. I want to get into the promised land. That's it. God's vision was much bigger than their vision, and God's vision is always much bigger than our vision. The Israelites were concerned with deliverance from bondage. God's vision was bigger than that. And so if you look at, um, can you put the other, the Exodus routes on? Um, yeah, so you can see that that's the route that the Israelites took. They went all the way down, and this scripture takes place at the bottom over there. Okay, you can go to the next, next map. Thanks, Justin. Next, yeah. Okay. So this is where the Israelites find themselves. Okay, so... All of this land, Migdol, is hill country, it's mountainous, it's high, and it extends all the way up to at the top there called Etham, which means shut in. And it means shut in because with the mountains and the sea, if, you, if they were going up there, they were literally shut in. So God led the Israelites all the way around up to Etham, and then he said, listen, Moses, turn the Israelites around and go and camp down there where you see Israelites, where the Israelites camped. And he says, because Pharaoh will think these guys are confused because militarily from a strategic perspective, moving down and not trying to get through the hill country was the worst thing they could have done. They were trapped because Pharaoh was following behind them. And so God, God knew what he was doing. But to the Israelites, it was like, this is the worst strategic move that you could do, Moses. We are certainly going to die. But God knew what he was doing. He's a God of understanding. And very interesting to me, you see at the bottom there, it says Baal Zephon, that little, that little island there. It literally means Lord of the North. It means the sea and storm God in uh, the Egyptian writings. And so it's fascinating for me that God says, come guys, I'm going to position you directly opposite the sea god of the Egyptians, and when the Egyptians try to come and uh, chase after you, I'm going to march you out right in front of Baal Zephon, the sea god, and I'm going to open the sea right in front of their sea god, and they're going to pursue you, and I'm going to close the sea right on top of the Egyptians. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he understood how to get Pharaoh into, into position that he could destroy him. And another thing that I find so fascinating, and it's what I think you know, it's, it's a proposal, I'm proposing this, is, you know when Pharaoh destroyed all of the Egyptian babies when Moses was born, what did he use? He used water, okay? And so what does God use to destroy all of the Egyptians in front of their sea god? He uses water. I just find that so fascinating. God remembers. God remembers. God is about his glory. God is about his people. 
you know. And God knows how and when to position for his purposes. Sometimes he might position us in a place that seems ludicrous, that seems strategically, Lord, this is impossible. This is the worst possible place for you to position me. But he knows what he's doing. And his vision is always, always bigger than yours or mine. Amen. Okay, the second thing is that God is a God who has a strategy. So he's a God who leads. He wants us to be people who can be led. Okay, he understands where we're at and how he needs to get us from A to B to fulfill his calling and to be able to stand in the promised land and maintain it. And he's also a God who has a strategy. Exodus 14 verse 13 to 16 says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to, me, why, uh, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Wow. Okay, so what is happening here? The children of Israel have had enough. They're like, Moses, why did you bring us here? We are going to die. We want to go back to Egypt. It would have been better for us to remain in Egypt. They were grumbling. They were in unbelief. They were terrified. They were afraid. And Moses is probably thinking, well, I would be thinking, Lord, why did you give me this job? I didn't ask for this job. These people are un ungrateful. These people don't follow. I'm trying to lead them. They don't follow. These people have, have unbelief in their hearts. But you know what? Mo uh, uh, Moses still did what God called him to do. And the Lord says to him, why do you cry to me? Stop complaining to me about these people that I've asked you to lead. Lift up what is in your hand, stretch it over the sea and divide it. My question to you today is what is in your hand? What is in your hand? If you are in a difficult position, God will often put in your hand something for you to use to bring about the miracle that you need. Sometimes we look at what is in our hand and we despise it. We despise it. What is this, Lord? This is you know, what is this, a desire for entrepreneurship? What is this, a speaking ability, a singing ability? What is this, this a gifting with this, or this talent with this, or this training with this? What is this, Lord God? It can't possibly do anything in terms of breakthrough in this area. But I want to encourage us this morning to lift up what is in our hand and trust God. Because Moses just had a rod. He just had a stick. That is all he had. And God just said, just lift up your stick, your puny little stick, Moses, lift it up and watch and see what I will do. And God did a miracle with that rod. And we know he did other miracles before in Egypt, but he did another one right now. And another beautiful example of this, what is in your hand, is in Luke 9, verse 12 to 17. Jesus has been preaching to the crowds, and it says that there were 5,000 men present. Now, with 5,000 men, they don't mention the women and children. So some people think maybe 20,000, including the women and children. And um, so there were lots of people. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, you've got to send these people away. They're hungry. You know, it's been a long time without eating, and we can't, we can't actually provide for them. We need a miracle. And um, Jesus says to them something so interesting. He says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you give them something to eat. You make something happen. And they said, we only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down. He took what was in their hand. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he did the miracle. He fed the people. Jesus took what was in their hand. It was in their hand already. And he did it. And sometimes we just have to take what we have in our hand. I'm wanting to ask you this morning, what is in your hand? 
What is in your hand for the church? What is in your hand for your personal breakthrough? What has God given you to break through in your season at this time and at this hour? There's something in your hand. How could Moses have known when he first picked up that rod that it would part the Red Sea? He couldn't have. But God just needed Moses to yield what was in his hand. Yield what was in his hand. The third thing that I'm wanting to touch on is that God is a God of process. He's a God of process. And I love this about God. I love that he's a God of process. I, I'll often pray prayers like, Lord, may my gifting never exceed my character. Because I don't want to get into that place where I'm influencing so many people, but I don't have the character to sustain it. And it ends up being a, a, a liability for the kingdom. And God knows what he's doing. I, when I get to promised lands, various promised lands in my life, I want to be able to stand there and, sta and be able to fight and be able to maintain the victory in that place. Amen. And God is a God of process. And he knows how to make sure that when we get to our promised lands, we can stand in that place without being taken out. And I want to just show you a map of the route. Well, this is a proposed route of the Israelites towards their promised land. And if you look at that red dotted line, okay, that is um, a theory of the route that the Israelites took, that God led his people. Now, for you and I, let me just bring this. How many of you are like me? We, if we are here and we are wanting to make our way towards the promised land over there, this seems like a pretty good route, right? Are you like me? That, that's, like, that's, like, that's the route I want to go, right? <laughs> but God led the people down here. This is where the, the Red Sea, you know, covered over their enemies, the Egyptians. Down here, down here, all the way around, up. Then they went to Kadesh Barnea when God tested them to check their hearts to see if they were ready to enter the promised land. And most of them weren't. Only Joshua and Caleb were ready. And then he took, takes them back and they, they do another whole lot of wandering around in the wilderness so he can prepare them. But God knew it's okay. It's okay. Otherwise, it'll fall over again. Just leave it. Yeah. Um, but God knew what he was doing. And I love the scripture, Psalm 144, verse 1 to 2. It said, Blessed be the Lord. It says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. See, whenever I'm going through something, I'm like, Lord, what weapon are you wanting me to use right now? What weapon are you wanting to add to my arsenal right now? What, what are you wanting to impart to me in this season that is going to be a life lesson for me? Because I know that he trains my hands for war and something that I'm going through today is going to prepare me for something that I'm going to have to face tomorrow. David could go and face Goliath because he'd face the lion and the bear and he'd learned how to trust God and defeat them in hiddenness. When he came and faced Goliath, he could do it because God had trained his hands for all. And, and God wants to impart things to us as a God who leads us. He's leading us around about roots to give things to us, to give treasures to us, to teach us how to walk and rest, to teach us how to hide in him, to teach us how to rest in him, to teach us how to wage war with his word, to teach us how to walk in faith and not by sight. There are all sorts of lessons and beautiful things that God wants to give us and impart to us that one day we're going to need. And I'd rather learn those lessons in a place of hiddenness in the backside of the desert where no one is watching me then have to learn it in public view when everyone is watching amen there's a quote that says um, and I think I heard it first from Ravi I don't actually know who wrote it but it says when God wants to drill a man sorry Ravi Zacharias 
Though you all know Ravi, right? Ravi? <laughs> okay. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest parts, when he yearns with all his heart to create some great and bolder man that all the world might be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects who he royally elects, how he hammers and converts them with mighty blows and converts them into trial shapes of clay that only God understands. While the tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with mighty acts induces him to try his splendor out. It's such a beautiful picture of God taking someone on a roundabout process and leading them so that they're ready to fulfill God's purpose in their promised land. See, God is going to mold us and shape us, and if we allow him to lead us, it will expedite that process. When we get to Kadesh Barnea and he says, have a look at your promised land, are you in faith? And he looks at our hearts, he'll be like, you're in faith, you can enter. But if we're not ready, he'll say, okay, 40 years in the wilderness for you, my love. Off you go, you need to sort out your heart, okay? I don't want him to do that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Exodus 23, verse 27 to 30. He says to the Israelites, I will send my fear before you. He's talking about as they're in the promised land. And he says, I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, all their enemies before you. But I will not drive them out in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. See, God knows. He's a God of process and he knows what he's about. And we just got to trust that God knows how he's leading us. He's a God who leads and he's leading us for our benefits. Amen. He knows the enemies that he has to chase out. He knows how quickly to chase them out. He knows how to strengthen us. And I'm wanting to leave just a thought with you this morning as I begin to round up this message on um, the God who leads. That in the process of God leading us, that God always gives us tests. And um, so I wanted to ask you this morning, what test do you think you're going through? In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 to 5, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God that led you all this way, these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Well, God already knew what was in their heart, but they didn't. Amen. So the test was to show them what was in their heart. So he led you this way to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Yes, cuts off. <laughs> okay. But God gives us tests. And there are many different tests that God takes us through. There's misunderstanding, there's rejection, tests of integrity, tests of lack of recognition, the power test, test of submission. And by the way, ladies, a submission is only tested in <clears throat> conflict in marriage. <clears throat> so submission to your husband is only really tested when you disagree with him. But anyway, um, the, test, the test I'm wanting to mention here is the test of faith, because I think in this type of environment, in this type of season, many of us are going through a test of faith. Test of faith. 
Like, are you seeing with the eyes of faith? You see, when God sent, mo sent men out into the promised land to spy it out before he took his people in, in Numbers 13, he says, send them out, um, one, you know, people from every, from every tribe. And they departed and they came back and, and they had, it was a test. God was testing them. And they came back and this was their report. Um, they said, we went to a land where you sent us, a truly froze with milk and honey. Um, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. It's difficult. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants there. The Malachites live there. The Hittites, the Jebusites. It's scary, Lord. Um, and then Caleb quiets those people who are afraid. And he says, let us go up. We can take it. We're well able to do it. You see, same, they saw the same thing, but they processed it differently according to their faith, according to their hearts. What you see and how you process what you see will affect how you allow yourself to be led. What you see and how you process what you see will affect how you allow yourself to be led. So the 10 spies who went and who just saw the giants and saw the fortified cities and saw the impossibility, they actually weren't in a place where God could lead them. They actually were in a place of, of, of unbelief. And they said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, saying, you know, basically it devours its inhabitants. They are men of great stature. We giants. And then they say, and we were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight, which is another interesting thing we could explore. We were like grasshoppers. We couldn't do it. We're so small. We're so puny. We're so, we, there's no way we can do it. But Joshua says, that land is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring it into the land and give it to us. Now, now at the end of all of this, now this is happening in front of the, of the people of Israel. Moses then speaks and says, this is the result of your test, guys. That was a test of faith. And the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua, shall by no, need, by no means enter the land which I've sworn to give you. So all of those people failed the faith test. And God is basically saying to them, listen, guys, I want to take you in. I'm going to take the Israelites in, but I can't lead you. I can't lead you. You're not in faith. You're not processing what you're seeing, you know, according to my spirit, according to my word, according to knowing who your God is. So I can't lead you. So I'm going to wait until you're not in the picture. And then I'm going to lead the people who I can lead into the promised land. So you know what? This morning, I want to challenge us to be people who are leadable by God. And all of these different things I've said to you, it's been a bit of a journey, right? We've gone around, around, around. But I'm wanting to really encourage us and challenge us that we need to position our hearts in a place where we can be led by God. And I want to give a soccer example, seeing as I watched about, I won't say how many soccer matches yesterday, but, <laughs> but I was watching a soccer match, not yesterday, but another time, and my son, one of my sons was playing forward, and he was playing on the wing. And the center forward was running up the center of the field with a ball. And there were a couple of defense uh, on the other side that they would have to break through, but it was possible. 
And he, as he was running up, I saw my son, and by the slant of his shoulders, and by he just slowed down to a walk and started to kick his feet on the ground. I could see that he didn't believe that this guy was actually going to pass to him, and he could cross, and they could score a goal. He didn't believe it in his heart. And I was saying, run! I was shouting from the side of the field, like, run! Like, move up! And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me then, and he said... Faith positions you are right for the next move. See, the belief positions you are right for the next move. The reason why that son wasn't in the right position and the right place to play the next move, whether or not they would have scored a goal, was because he didn't believe. So that's the thing about faith. It's not, it's not believing something and having this, you know unrealistic view of the world. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that when we have faith, it helps us to position us right for the next move. So the next move becomes a possibility because if he'd been in the right place at the right time because he believed that it might just work out, they could have scored a goal. But he didn't believe and so it wasn't even an option. So in our, in our lives, we have to, faith positions us right that God can actually lead us and we can score that goal. Okay, so in order to enter our promised land, in order to be led by Him, by our God who does lead, we need to be those who are prayerful because God will work things out when I pray right, when I pray enough. I've got to pray that He can answer my prayers. We've got to be those who are curious with the things of God. Got to be curious and ask God questions. Sometimes I think God doesn't speak to me because I'm not asking Him enough questions. As soon as I ask questions, then he speaks to me. We've got to be curious. Those who turn aside like Moses, those who turn aside to look, who are curious and hungry. We need to walk in relationship with God. We need to position ourselves in such a way that we can listen and hear him like Moses. You know, we said, and God said to Moses, and God said to Moses, and God said to Moses, and Moses said to God in Exodus. We've got to be like that. Maybe the positioning is in a daily routine. Maybe it's around us shifting our daily routine a bit. Maybe it's around it's carving out a bit of time here or a bit of time there. Maybe it's audible Bibles and traffic. Maybe it's praying in tongues and tra- whatever it is. We are responsible. I can't say to the Lord one day, well, you know, I had three boys and they were high testosterone and I had a husband and I had to look after the house and there just wasn't time, Lord. And he's going to say, well, actually, you could have carved out a bit of time and then there would have been grace for you. And you know what I found in my life? Sometimes in the morning I get up and it's like go, go, go from 5 a.m. It's all rushed. And I find that if I just make sure I slot in, I'm not putting this on you as law, by the way. I'm just saying for me, what I found. If I put in that time of prayer, 30 minutes, just at the beginning of the day or however long, hour, whatever it is, my day doesn't seem to unravel so much. It honestly doesn't. It really does work, Okay. We need to be prepared to yield what is in our hands. Moses, God said to Moses, basically lift up the rod that is in your hand. What is in your hand? Are you yielding it to God? We need to walk by faith and not by sight so that we're rightly positioned for the next move. We need to remember that God is a God who understands. He knows where he's taking us from. He knows the routes that he has to take us to get our heart into the right place, to bring us into our promised land that we can stand there. He's a God who has a strategy. He knows exactly how to get rid of those enemies that are chasing you every day. He knows. He's a God of process. He's probably not going to take you from A to B, the route that you and I would choose. Okay? But that's okay. He knows best. Amen. So would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. And just, I've mentioned a number of different points this morning.
around God being a God who leads. And um, just if there was one particular one that jumped out at you this morning, I want you to do business with the Lord. You can just lift up your hands and repent if you need to repent. Um, just, just do business with the Lord. And I'm wanting us to pray a prayer of consecration and, and yieldedness to the Lord and to His process. And so, Father, we, you can pray and I'll pray. You can, when you finish praying, you can agree with me. Father, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful for who you are, that you really are God, that you trust us with this world, that you desire us to be stewards of it. You trust us with children. You trust us with these things. And we come before you this morning, Lord, even concerning our own lives, our own marriages, our nations. We know that we don't have the wisdom. We know that we, know that we can't do this on our own. We really ask that you would intervene on our behalf in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, with our callings in this church, Lord, in this nation and the nations represented here. We really cry out to you this morning, Lord, and ask that you would intervene, that you would have your way, Lord. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in these situations. And Father, for those who are here who are thinking of specific situations, specific points from this morning's message that jumped out at them, we just we want to acknowledge you as God of the process, as a God who understands, as a God who is good, as a God who knows what he's doing. Lord, we acknowledge that we are men, we are mere man. We don't have infinite wisdom, but you do. And we choose to trust you this morning. We trust you, Lord, with this church, with the route that you're taking us as a church, with how it grows and goes, where it goes, Lord God. We trust you, Lord God, with our personal lives. We trust you, Lord God, with our destinies and callings. We know that you are a God who goes before. You are a God who makes a way. You are a God who knows where to locate us. You know exactly where our hearts are at. You know where to find us, Lord. You know how to open the right door at the right time, and we choose to trust you. Lord, this morning we say we choose to yield what is in our hands to you. We yield the things that you've given us, Father. We release them. We relinquish them to you. Even how people view us, how people see us, our gifts, our callings, the things that you've added to us, Lord. Materially, we, we yield them to you and we ask that you would have your way in our lives, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who understands where we're at. I pray for grace this morning for us, Lord, in order to be those who turn aside to look. Those who turn aside, who are curious, who inquire of the Lord. Who don't just run ahead and ask the Lord to bless what we've already decided, but inquire of you, Lord God. Wait upon you. Thank you, Father. Lord, would you reveal your strategies to us? Would you reveal those things that you're wanting to impart to us in this season? The weapons of war that you're wanting to equip us with in this season, this season in order that we may stand and we may be victorious in the seasons to come. May you speak to us and show us, Lord, and help us. May you help us to understand what process you have us in, Lord God. What season we're in individually and as a church. Would you give us wisdom, we pray, Lord. We just choose to yield ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name. And with every eye closed, every head bowed, is there anyone here you don't know the Lord Jesus? 
or you would like to recommit your life, you've grown or uh, your heart has grown cold and hard towards the Lord, you want to you wanna recommit your life, could you just slip up your hand so I can see? Okay, there's no one. So Father, we thank you for the message this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, that your word always accomplishes that which it was sent for, that it's alive and it's active. So have your way in this precious church, we pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.